You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, good morning, and uh, last week was incredible. I was here, uh, but not able to teach, and I'm glad I didn't. Tyler killed it. Um, But today, uh, the message is a standalone, because we're going to start a new series next week that heads toward Easter. But this standalone message uh, is something that I've wrestled with for quite a while. And for some of you, uh, there's a word uh, that describes this message. Some of you in the room might find it disturbing. Uh, You find it disturbing because it's going to strike at the core of who we think we are. How big and significant and important we think we are. But there is a principle that we're going to examine today, honestly, that, that brings clarity. And if you and I are careful with this principle, it'll bring clarity on behalf of your wealth or your poverty, on behalf, on behalf of your health or your sickness or illness, on behalf of things that are good in life and things that are difficult in life, on any circumstance or tragedy, this, this is a framework, a principle, a framework that shapes everything. Now, this principle can be disturbing, it can be bothersome, because it removes you from the center, it removes me from the center of my life, you from the center of your life puts us on the edges and brings God in the middle. Here's the principle today. God's number one priority is his glory, not mine. Um, The reason this is bothersome is because since he's so concerned with his glory, since he's so concerned with his name, that means he's not as concerned as I'd hope about my name, my fame, my glory. And if you press in hard enough, like, like sometimes it doesn't sound right. Like if I were to tell some of you guys that um, my chief priority is myself, you'd say, Tim, that, that's not really a good thing, right? Like, like, Tim, you don't need to be so self-focused, so self-absorbed. But for some reason, God gets to be that way about himself. Like God gets to be uh, prioritize himself above all else. And yet the, the reason that we struggle with it, therein lies the problem. I don't think God's much different than me. And so today what I want us to do is look at this framework from a biblical perspective on how God's number one priority is his own glory, not mine. And when that framework is ours for God, I'm telling you, it shapes whether or not you have wealth or poverty. It shapes whether you have good health or sickness. It helps give you like parameters on behalf of good and evil. It gives you a different grid. The word that we're going to examine today is the word glory. If you were to look it up in Webster's Dictionary, it means honor, adoration, magnificence, and splendor. In the Hebrew text, the word is kabod, which means honor, adoration, magnificence, splendor in a heavy sense. Like the word shows up 376 times in the Hebrew text. And every time it's in reference to the heaviness and the glory of God. I I want us to get a glimpse of what it looks like before we jump into a story to see the danger of us not prioritizing his fame, his glory, his name. Uh, Isaiah says it this way, God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to all of us. Life to everyone who walks the earth. And it is he who says, I the Lord. The word literally means Yahweh. It has inside of it the glory, 
the heavy weight affiliated with the majesty of God. So you can't help but wonder, okay, what does that mean concerning us and what he's up to? Well, we have a part. Verse 6, I, the Lord, I called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I'll take you by the hand, meaning I'll guide you through life. And I'll guard you. And I'll give you to my people, Israel, as a symbol of my covenant with him. Like, you are an example to a special group of people to the heart of God. You'll be a light to the guide to guide all nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. Now I want you to watch the repetition. He says it again. I am the Lord. And in the Hebrew text, there's no exclamation part. No exclamation points. They make emphasis through repetition. And you'll see it three times. I am the Lord. Here we go. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else. I will not share my praise. On behalf of his name, he says that is my name. We, we must remember it's his name, not ours. It's at the center of everything. That means his name is not to be taken lightly. That means his name is not to be misused. And his name is not to be abused. On behalf of his glory, he says, look, I'm not sharing my glory either. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter how much influence you have. It doesn't matter how many people follow you, how many people hang on to your every word. God lets us know in the passage, he does not share his glory or his praise. So I have the glory of God, this heaviness, where the hand of God is either on you or off of you, on your family, off of your family, on a church, on a ministry, on your business. The hand of God on you or off of you, according to the text, we must remember his name, we must reflect his glory, and we must vocalize his praise. In other words, no one has the right to take his name, to borrow his glory. Or to steal his praise. The reason I want to talk about this just today in a special way. There's a tragedy where over time we can forget this. Whether or not you're a follower of Jesus. It's a subtle shift that it's slowly forgotten. Like we climb the ladder. We use our smarts. We use our skills. And we experience success. And over time, there's a subtle shift where it slowly gets to our head. To the point where we can even rationalize our way around the glory of God. What I want to do today is I want us to look at what this looks like to slowly lose the hand of God. To slowly miss out on his glory and to steal it, to rob it, or to take it. Uh, there's a relative, relatively unknown passage. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Second Chronicles 26. There's a relatively unknown story, really. About a young man named Uzziah, whose dad is the current king, but his dad finds out that there's going to be an assassination attempt on his dad in the palace. So the dad decides to flee. What happens is the people that are going to assassinate him find out where he flees to, and they still kill him. Well, his son Uzziah is now the next king. And this Uzziah is 16 years old. Look at this, Second uh, Chronicles 26, verse 3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 52 years. If you're in middle school or high school, you love this, don't you? Be honest. If you're a parent or a grandparent, this scares you to death. A 16-year-old king. And it's not just because of your kid or your grandkid that's that age. You press in, go back. You remember what it was like to be 16? 
think about it. And yet here's a man that at the age of 16 is king. The Bible never speaks down on anyone because they're young. You will never find a verse on it. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, as Timothy is young and pastoring a church, he says, hey, Timothy, don't let anyone despise you because you're young. Uh, there was an incredible pastor like, like years ago. His name was Spurgeon. You know, at the age of 17, he surrendered to ministry. He became a pastor and started teaching at the age of 20. At the age of 22, his teaching had the hand of God on him so much that people would walk for miles and stand in snow to hear him teach. At the age of 25, Great Britain was forced to build the Metropolitan Tabernacle to house everyone under his leadership. So, so don't ever let anyone tell you to look down on you just because you're young. And the guy stayed at this church until just a few years before his death. And even after his death, they printed his sermons for 25 years. So if you're young in this room and God's given you influence, God's given you leadership capabilities or gifts, there is nothing to be ashamed of. Be excited. But there's also something to say about being part of something for a long time. It says in the text that he served for 52 years. Whether you start young or you last long, there's something to remember. You and I must walk with God. You're going to find out that Uzziah understood that the hand of God was a special thing. He understands that like the glory of God was not meant to be shared. God did not want anyone else to take credit for his name. It's why God used Uzziah. Listen to verse 4. This kid did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And if you were to read like verse 6 through 16, you find out because he's giving God glory, he's sharing God's praise, like he's putting himself to the side. God does some pretty crazy things unique for Uzziah. He gives him fame, he gives him notoriety, he gives him influence. He gives him this strong military army. He, um, he blesses him in like ways that, that, that are hard to explain. Let me read one, one verse in particular. Verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs. Meaning every battle he's fighting on behalf of the nation of Israel, he's winning. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become powerful. You continue to read, you find out that God places some, some great people around him. He's surrounded by great team leaders. Um, there, there are people that are creative and inventive, and they create these inventions that are war machines that they place at the top corners of the castle, meaning Jerusalem itself became this, this type of citadel. And for all these years, because he sought God, because he esteemed God, he refused to borrow God's name or, or steal God's glory or take his praise, God's hand was on him, but, but something happens. There's a word that stands out in verse 15. Uzziah's fame spread far and wide, for he, he was greatly helped until he became powerful. What does that mean? Verse 16 explains, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord, his God. I've said this throughout my life, big doors swing open and close 
on small hinges. The entire door of Uzziah's life swings on the hinges of verse 15 and 16. I'm telling you, here's what happened, and it can happen to anyone in this room. His influence, his strength, his fame, his wealth, the the flags flying high, the parades, the praises, got to the point where he believed it, got to his head. On behalf of Uzziah, as you slowly read through his life, his favorite piece of furniture in the palace was the mirror. Fell in love with himself. Another way of saying it is Uzziah took from God's name. He started to borrow God's glory. And he stole God's praise. And the hand of God is slowly being removed from his life. At the age of 14, I was given a book, and this is one of those books that Probably some of you have got books like this where you just highlight, uh, you write in it to the point where you can barely see what the original author wrote. You've just taken so many notes. I want to read a clip from that book for me. It was a book written by J. Oswald Sanders called Spiritual Leadership. He says this, egotism is one of the most repulsive manifestations of pride. It's the practice and thinking much of yourself. The habit of magnifying one's important. It leads to consider everything in relationship to himself rather than in relation to God and the welfare of God's people. Egotism does nothing more than dull the pain of stupidity. And Uzziah is eat up with himself. I believe that he slowly got to the point where he believed in his own gifts to the point where he stopped giving God kavod. The heavy sense of praise and glory because nothing would be accomplished apart from that. Now, I have a question this morning. If that subtly happened in his life, how do we know if it's starting to show up in our life? In a bigger sense, if that can happen in this kingdom, how can it easily happen to a church? I just want us to pay close attention to what unfolds in this story about how the hand of God slowly was removed from Uzziah's life and everything that Uzziah was doing. And my prayer is that we as a church pay close attention to this because the same could be said of us. God is doing some special things at severe heights right now. My greatest fear is to get in the way of that. When you look at this story, you see how subtle the slip is. The first indication is when God's, when what's waging on the inside is greater than the battles that should be fought on the outside. You look at Uzziah. He was supposed to be fighting the Philistines. He's supposed to be, God called him as a king to to defeat these other areas to protect the nation of Israel, Jerusalem, Judah. But what does he do? He gets so concerned with what's going on in here on behalf of himself that he forgets what he's been called to do out there. I mean, if you consider the passage in verse 16, it says he's developed a proud heart. And I know this, you can't read my heart. And I don't know what's going on in your heart, but I want you to know that what happens here, it starts in the heart. Meaning the need to pray, the need to lean on God, the need to to trust God for everything that you do, for everything that I do, it slowly diminishes in the life of Uzziah because there is a storm waging inside of him that is greater than the very thing that God called him to do. 
Here's another thing that happens. There's more attention given to a person than to the glory of God. In this chapter alone, it, it starts riveting all about Uzziah. I want to tell you something. At this church, the glory of God is so heavy. It is so special. It is so fragile. When his hand is on it, it is such a beautiful thing. But can, it can easily be taken when this church becomes about a person, a personality, a ministry, or even the church itself instead of the glory of God. Understand that, that it was easy for them to forget God in this passage of Scripture. In other words, the success got to his head. And his heart slowly grew full of pride and became corrupt. So corrupt, look at his actions. Verse 16, after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord as God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. He's a king. You want to speak up? Don't go in the temple. That's not your job. That's the job of the priest. That's where the temple, the glory, the kabod, that magnificent worship and honor that is heavy. That is where God's existence was in the Old Testament. But when you're arrogant, when you're full of yourself, you think you can walk anywhere. This is the priest's job, not the king's job. But slowly a focus is getting put on a person instead of the glory of God. Here's the third thing. When the hand of God is nice, but no longer necessary. Do you know how easy it is in leadership to get slick, to be clever, to no longer lean on Jesus, to be fixated on how you look? And what other people think about you and how you look. You spend more time cultivating a facade than actually worried about the work that God is doing in the heart. I'm telling you, it can happen up here. It can happen wherever you work. Like on behalf of me, I can say, you know what? I've taught this passage before. I'll just wing it. Or I can be all week in a text. And at nights and before I get in here... Literally holding the glory of God, understanding that, God, I cannot wing this. This is your name. This is your glory. This is your praise. But it's so easy, left to ourselves because of our gifts, to wing it because we think God's hands are nice, but not necessary. Or on behalf of a worship team, oh, we've sung that song so many times. And, and even the audience, oh, we've sung that. Well, let's just sing it. No, we're carrying the glory of God. His name is not to be shared. His glory is not to be taken lightly. His praise is to be his praise. Understand that like, like for all of us, it doesn't matter if it's in this room or at your work. We can approach everything we do because we're gifted and we're skilled. And we can think, you know what? His hand's nice, but, but, but I don't know that I need it. And we can attach words with it like we need it. But God knows that the heart is far from him. And this is what's happened to Uzziah. And slowly the hand of God is removed. Verse 17, Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and they said, hey, it's not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That's the priest's job. Leave the sanctuary for you have been unfaithful 
You ready for this? And you will not be honored by the Lord God. Guess what word is used there? Kavod. You will no longer be honored by the kavod of God, the glory, the heavy glory. Meaning, no kavod. Some of you have heard it this way, Ichabod. The glory of God had departed. And it took courage of some friends, some godly friends, to point out in his life some of the worst decisions that he was making. Nevertheless, his pride still reigns. Listen to verse 19. Uzziah, who had a censer, the sacred censer, in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. It's almost like he lunges at these men. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead because the Lord had afflicted him. Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. One of the saddest epitaphs you can imagine. But think about it. He started right. The glory of God, the name of God, the praise of God. And just like Isaiah said, he still had a part with that. He was called by God. He was protected by God. He was led by God as long as he esteemed God and the heavy weight of God's glory. But in the same way that he was called by God and protected by God and guided by God, guess what? According to this text, it says he was afflicted by God. For 2,000 years, people have neglected and set aside the glory of God. Me too. And do you know what God's response is on behalf of mankind's rejection of his glory? Meaning, if you're someone in this room that has kind of turned your back to God on, for a while, or if you're someone in this room that has never come to a point where you understand you need the work of God through Jesus in your life, can I tell you what God's response is on behalf of our sin? On behalf of us taking his glory, get ready. Philippians 2, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Get ready. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the kabod, The heavy adoration of God the Father. That was God's response to us stealing his glory. And so in the meantime today, for those of you that are starting to figure it out from a biblical perspective, you're getting a glimpse of what it's like to take you out of the center and put God in his rightful place. You're starting to get it. For those that are there, you understand according to this passage, when you call God Father, because of Jesus, when God sees you, he sees himself. Every time we call him Father, we reflect his grace, his greatness, and his glory. 
So I ask the question today, what would it look like if we were to take his glory, that kabod, seriously as a church, as families, as couples, as individuals, as leaders, as employees, as business owners? Can I tell you what helps me wrap my head around the beauty of the glory of God? When the king sends his son to die for the subjects, it says something about the value of the subjects. But it says even more about the glory of the king. Let that set in. I mean, when God sends his son on behalf of us that, that, that did not hold tight in high esteem, the glory of God. He sends his son to die for the subject. Man, it tells us how valuable we are. But my goodness, the glory of a king that would do that. You and I must consider 2,000 years ago on a cross, God placed the exclamation of glory upon his son. And all history hinges on the glory of the cross. And one day, whether you and I like it or not, Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the kabod, the heavy glory of God. That means the king leverages even our sin for the sake of his own glory. So let's ask the question. What would it look like for you to live this week this month, this year, the rest of your life placing high esteem on the glory of God. I mean, what would it look like on behalf of the things that we talked about earlier? What would it mean for your wealth or your poverty, the current health you have or the sickness, the good, the bad, the tragic, if all of that was done for the glory of God? And you were to ask God, God, how can this be leveraged for your glory? This is what it's like to understand how beautiful the hand of God is on a life versus when it's removed. And what if you learned to pray this prayer? God, since you can leverage my sin for your glory, I can't wait to see what you do with this. This difficult circumstance this sickness, this tragedy, this loneliness. God, if you can leverage sin for your glory, I can't wait to see what you do on behalf of the business, on behalf of the leadership, on behalf of our team. God, if that's what you do with sin, that you can find a way to bring yourself glory, God, how can I, this week, this month, for the rest of my days, leverage what you have currently placed in my lap for your glory. I'm telling you, when you do this, when you pray that, when you act on that, life finally makes sense. Because you're taking yourself out of the center. And you're putting God there. So let's close with these words. When the king sends his son to die for the subjects. That's us. It says something about the value of the subjects that spit on his glory. But it says even more about the glory of the king. 
all across this room, can we just close our eyes, bow our head, and think about this? On behalf of the glory of God, the hand of God, on your marriage, your business, your family, your life, your sickness, your wealth, your poverty, a tragedy. On behalf of the glory, the heavy, the burden, the burden of the adoration of God. Think about Uzziah's life. Is there a chance that there are more wars going on inside of you than the very thing that God has called you to do on the outside? Like, are you slowly becoming self-centered, egotistical, arrogant, and life has slowly become about you? If so, the hand of God is borderline pulling away from your life. How about this? Is there more attention given to a person, a personality, a business, a family, your wealth, your status, your skill sets, your gift, the things that you're accomplishing, or the glory of God? Practically, how would that look for me? Like at the end of a message, if people are talking more about Tim and less about the glory of God, I'm missing it. Or how about this? From Uzziah's point of view, have you, are you getting close to the point where the hand of God is nice, but truth be told, because of your skill set, it's no longer really necessary? Because you can wing it. You can do your job. You can do your family. You can do, you can do so much because of your skill set. Then slowly the hand of God is disappearing. Father, I want to pray for every person in this room that we would understand how special your glory is. Your number one priority is the glory of your name, not mine. Father, I pray that this church would, would be riveted on that, that we would carry that so carefully, that we would be thankful for the things you're doing that are unexplainable, apart from the hand of God. Jesus, I want to pray for anyone in this room that is beginning to understand the glory of God, the type of love that a king would have that would send his son to die for his subjects. It shows us how valuable we are, but how great and glorious our king is. I pray that all across this room, people would take steps in the direction of learning to trust you on behalf of their life, on behalf of their marriage, on behalf of a crisis, on behalf of a, a season. And God, on behalf of severe heights, May we continue to move forward with a deep respect for your glory, your name, and your praise. And I pray this today in Jesus' name.